بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وأصحابه ومن ولاهم وبعد اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما يا رب العالمين Allah teach us what will benefit us and benefit us with what you've taught us and increase us in knowledge, O Lord of the Worlds. First, I'd like to thank you all for having me back. Second, I'd like to ask your pardon for not making it to Jum'ah today. I had a flat tire this morning and the entire, the entire wheel was destroyed. So I had to get that replaced while I was on the way here. So Alhamdulillah, everything is fine, no one's hurt. But uh, that was the reason why I wasn't able to make it to Jum'ah. So I do uh, ask for your pardon for that. Uh, the last couple of lectures, we had actually talked about uh, the topic of spiritual success. And I wanted to take today to talk to you about something that's a little different. And the reason being is that, according to some calendars, today is the 29th of Rajab. Meaning that next month is... Sha'ban, and it's narrated from the Prophet wasallam that he said, "Shahrun bayna Rajab wa Ramadan." There is a month between Rajab and Ramadan that most people don't take advantage of, and this is the month of Sha'ban. So we only have a month left until Ramadan, and part of our spiritual success is our leveraging the blessed times that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has designated for us to be able to prep ourselves for even more ibadah during Ramadan. So I want to talk right now, or today inshallah ta'ala, about the different sunan and mustahabbat of welcoming Sha'ban, and then talk about how we go into Ramadan as well. Now, the Prophet عليه الصلاة والسلام روي عنه أنه كان يكثر من الصيام في شهر شعبان حتى ما كان يسومه إلا ما كان يسوم أو أو حتى كان يكثر من الصيام فيه حتى كان يسومه إلا قليلا. It's narrated from Um Salah, Um Salama رضي الله عنها and Aisha. In, in Bukhari and Muslim, as well as the phrase that I just mentioned is actually mentioned in Muslim and Ahmed, uh, as well as Abu Dawood and Tirmidhi, that the Prophet ﷺ used to fast much during the month of Sha'ban, so much that he would only fast, he would only not fast a little of it. Meaning there are only a few days of Sha'ban that he would not fast during. Um Salama, it's narrated from her, radiallahu ta'ala anha, that كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم حتى وصل شعبان برمضان. It's almost as if he had, he had connected the fasting of Sha'ban to Ramadan. So a lot of us, unfortunately, when we go throughout the year, we don't fast a lot. We don't take to the sunnah of fasting Mondays and Thursdays. We don't take to the sunnah of fasting a yam al in the white moon days, the, the days of the full moon. And we end up with uh, a lot of fasts that maybe we're making up from Ramadan that, that, that we do during Sha'ban. And sometimes we're just, maybe we didn't miss any fasts, but we find ourselves extremely lethargic and, 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 uh, and tired. And we all get that day one Ramadan headache. Why? Because our bodies are not accustomed to stopping eating and drinking. 
in investing in our own our own uh, self-satisfaction. So the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ to fast during Sha'ban was to get ourselves ready for the wajib, the obligation of fasting during Ramadan. And this is something that was carried on during his, during his lifetime, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and during the time of the Salaf. Most of us nowadays, when do we give our zakat? We give our zakat in Ramadan. However, during the time of the Salaf, most of them would give their zakat in Sha'ban. Why? Because when they gave their zakat in Sha'ban, the fard was over. Now, all of the multiplication of extras beyond the fard were then counted during Ramadan. So they were leveraging, fulfilling the obligation, and then making sure that anything they did extra was multiplied so much that it would take up for any of the uh, deficiencies that were found in the fog. It's narrated that on the Day of Judgment, we'll be asked about our Salah and the obligatory Salah that we pray. And if it's deficient, then it will be made up from the Nawafil, from the optional prayers that we made. We'll be asked about our Zakah and our Sadaqah. And if it's deficient, then it'll be made up from the optional, the Nawafil. So some of the Salaf, they used to pay their zakat in Sha'ban, or many of them, or some of them, used to pay it in Sha'ban, istadadan Ramadan, in preparation for Ramadan. However, it's also narrated that many people would pay their zakat during Ramadan. In fact, it's narrated from Uthman, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, anhu qal hadha shahru zakatikum, fa'idha kana ala ahadikum daynan, falyadfa'hu ila sahibihi, thumma yadfa'hu. Uthman used to say during Ramadan, this is the month of your zakat. So if any of you owe debts to someone else, pay your debts first, then pay the zakat of your wealth. So whether you choose to do this or to do that, it's fine. But the idea here is that to use Sha'ban to get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala during uh, or before the fast of Ramadan comes, before the salafa of Ramadan comes. Make these habits that you have and start from, literally, possibly, tomorrow or the next day as it could be the first. Uh, it is not narrated that the Prophet ﷺ fasted any specific day during Rajab or in Sha'ban. And anything that is narrated about the 27th of Rajab or the 15th of Sha'ban or any specific day is weak. However, it is from the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ to fast during Al-Ashul Hurum and during Sha'ban, during the sacred months as well as Sha'ban, without specifying one day or the other as better. Now, there is a some people will say you should fast the 15th of Sha'ban, a nisf min Sha'ban, and that you should pray during the night, a latest nisf min Sha'ban, or as it's called in some cultures, Shabi Barat, right? The, the night of atonement. There's one hadith that is narrated about this uh, in some of the Masanid that the Prophet ﷺ said, Inna Allah la yanzilu 
إلى السماء الدنيا فينظر إلى خلقه فيغفرهم جميعا إلا مشرك أو مشاحن that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descends to the lower heavens and he looks to his creation and he forgives all of his creation on the 15th night of Sha'ban except for two people a mushrik, an idolater or someone who has a grudge against someone else so if you're holding something in your heart then that doesn't apply to you this hadith uh, there's some differences of opinion as to its authenticity but there's a group of the salaf who used to who, who, who felt that this was an authentic hadith it was a hasan hadith it was good and they used to actually pray to hajjud during that night it was basically makhul and some of the other salaf from, uh, from Syria at that time Sham, Damascus in particular they would pray in their homes hoping that they would rid their hearts of any uh, hard, hard, you know, hard feelings for anyone and being engaged in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they would not fall under this hadith they would neither be committing shirk nor would they have any hardness in their heart so if one chooses to do that based on this hadith there's no harm in doing so however uh, you know, late night uh, parties and uh, what happens on most of these nights like the Isra al-Miraj and Shabi Barat and uh, uh, Chandrat and you know, uh, Laylat al-Eid and all these different things that happen in different cultures around the world, these have no basis in the Sunnah. Not from near or from far. But some of the Salaf, they would take these times to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at their, in their own or to gather, uh, and to gather in worship at the Masajid without there being... Uh, 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 without there being widespread coordination and it being an orchestrated thing. But these are times that one should be remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This hadith, as I mentioned, is narrated in some of the Masadeen as well as the Sunan of Ibn Majah. Another, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, is a hadith. Uh, that the Prophet وسلم, it's narrated by Al-Nasai in his uh, Sunan al-Sughra of Hassanah al-Mundiri was declared uh, Hassan by al-Mundiri that he said ذَلِكَ شَهْرٌ يَغْفُرُ النَّاسَ عَنْهُ بَيْنَ رَجُلٍ بَيْنَ رَجُلٍ وَرَمَضَانٍ وَهُوَ شَهْرٌ تُرْفَعُ فِيهِ الْأَعْمَالُ إِلَى الرَّبِّ فَأُحِبُّ أَنْ يُرْفَعْ عَمَلِي وَأَنَا الصَّائِمِ the Prophet ﷺ told us about the virtue of fasting in Sha'ban in general and any day. He said that is a month and that most people are heedless of between Rajab and Ramadan. That the, our actions are taken up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala during this month and I love for my actions to be presented to Allah while I am fasting. Which is why he وسلم, would fast on Mondays and Thursdays because our actions are presented to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on Mondays and Thursdays, and because he was born on a Monday. I mentioned as well that Umm Salama radiallahu anha, she said that he would almost, it was almost as if he was connecting the fasts between them. Now, there's an issue, if you're fasting during Sha'ban, when is it preferable to stop in preparation for Ramadan? Well, if you are fasting in the beginning of the month, the Prophet ﷺ is recorded by Bukhari Muslim, Malik and his Muqtah and others, or I'm sorry, Bukhari Muslim, he said, لا تقدموا رمضان بيوم أو يومين 
لا تقدم رمضان بصوم بيوم أو يومين أو كما قال صلى الله عليه وسلم. Do not, you should not start fasting uh, before Ramadan by one or two days. Meaning, don't wait the whole Sha'ban and then go, oh man, I've got, I've got to make up fast or I'm going to fast nothing and get prepared for Ramadan. And then you stop, you start fasting a few days right before Ramadan. You should start your fast for Sha'ban during the beginning. Get yourself ready. And then, when you get to the end of Sha'ban, take a break. Allow your body to rest, then go back into Ramadan. And in fact, it's narrated from Ammar ibn Yasir, radiallahu anhu, that he said, Men sama yawm al-shak, faqad asa abal qasim. Whoever fasts the day of doubt, then he has fasted, or I'm sorry, then he has disobeyed Abul Qasim. Who's Abul Qasim? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa So, when you are, when you are fasting Sha'ban, you can fast the entire month if you wish. Uh, but you should refrain from fasting at least the last day of Sha'ban, meaning the day that could be the 30th or it could be the first of Ramadan. Why would it, why could it be the first or the 30th? Because it's a lunar calendar and the days are generally 29 or 30 days depending upon the sighting of the moon. Now there is another hadith that's narrated, there's another hadith that's narrated in the Sunan that the Prophet uh, said, When the middle of Sha'ban comes, then don't fast until Ramadan arrives. Now, uh, this hadith is not of the level of the first one that I mentioned about not fasting one or two days before, so it is permissible to fast until that time. But it is disliked if you haven't been fasting in the beginning of Sha'ban to not then start after the 15th. That way it doesn't seem as if you're trying to play catch-up. Now this, the only exception to this is what? If you have a fast that you have to make up, like a fast that you missed from Ramadan, you have to fast it before the Ramadan comes. Or it's a fast that you regularly fast. Like say for example, everybody here in the masjid gets together for iftar on Mondays and Thursdays then it is permissible to fast that, even if that Thursday is the 30th day of Sha'ban, the day before Ramadan. Or you fast the fast of Dawood, which is, the Prophet said, The best fast is the fast of Dawood. How did Dawood fast? He would fast one day, break his fast the next day. So if you fast like that, and it ends up that the day that you're fasting is the very last day of Sha'ban, it's fine to fast that day. Or it happens after the 15th, it's fine to fast like that. However, we have to, uh, it's preferred to start fasting in the beginning of the month and uh, acclimating your body to the fast uh, and then stopping a few days uh, before, one or two days before. <clears throat> The day of doubt is the day in which the moon is sighted, or the, moon, the day in which the moon has not been sighted, but because it is cloudy or, uh, or the moon is unable to be seen, then the next day could be the first of Ramadan, could be the 30th of Sha'ban. Now this issue is less of an issue nowadays for us, why? Because of communications. 
So regardless of whether you follow a local sighting or you follow a national sighting or an international sighting or you follow communications, uh, I'm sorry, calculations, in some sense you're going to get news of when the beginning of the month is. However, it's extremely important to remember that in the sighting of the moon, regardless of whether you were to use calculations or worldwide sighting or local sighting, there's a special meaning to seeing the moon and making the dua that the Prophet ﷺ would make when he saw the, the, the new moon. Allahumma ahilhu alayna bil-amni wal-iman wal-salamati wal-islam rabbi wa rabbukallah. Prophet ﷺ would make dua when he saw the new moon saying, O oh Allah, allow it to crest over us with safety and faith and peace and Islam. My Lord and your Lord is Allah. So we're not uh, a religion of uh, worshipping the moon or the crescent moon being our symbol and things like this. This was used by, by nations that, that became Muslim that already used the crescent moon as their, as their symbol. You'll hear uh, uh, Christian polemicists say that Allah is the moon god and things like that. Everyone was in the 90s, that was like everybody was trying to say that about. And then you say, well, the Arabic Bible says Allah, so what are you going to do with that, right? But the, the, the purpose of this dua is to show that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us signs in nature, it's for our recognition of Him subhanahu wa ta'ala, not a veneration of the creation. For example, when the Prophet ﷺ's son Ibrahim ﷺ passed away, he passed away before he was two years old, the, there was an eclipse at that time. Someone came and they said, uh, the moon eclipsed for the death of Ibrahim. What did the Prophet ﷺ say? He said, In the shamsa wal qamara ayatani min ayati la la takhsifani li mawti ahadin aw hayatihim. Fa idha ra'aytum thalik fa sta'jilu aw fa sallu. He said, indeed the sun and the moon are two signs from the signs of Allah. They don't eclipse for the death or the life of anyone. So when you see this, then take to worship. Allah strikes fear into the hearts of his servants through them. So when you see this, then take to ibadah. The point being is that our connection to nature, our connection to our natural surroundings, is to understand that we're not the ones that put it in motion. We're not the ones that control creation. Everything goes back to the recognition of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, I want to make a point about seeing the moon. The Prophet ﷺ said, سُومُوا لِرُؤْيَتِهِ وَأَفْطِرُوا لِرُؤْيَتِهِ uh, the Prophet ﷺ in different narrations, he said, fast when you see it, and fast, or break the fast when you see it. And if it is cloudy, then count, set up for, count 30 days. My microchip in the brain is messing up, so I'm mixing the Arabic and English. So, count 30 days. Meaning that, if we don't see the moon, then we uh, 
don't fast. We count 30 days of Shabbat. And then when we see the moon, or we don't see the moon at the end of Ramadan, 29 or 30 days. And this is what you do in the absence of any other information. Now, I want to make a point here about local sightings versus worldwide sightings versus calculations. There are some countries, Muslim countries, with scholars and with federal councils that have decided to use calculations. And if that is what they have decided for the, their country, then that is fine. If you are in a community that has decided to follow calculations, then that is fine. If you're in a community that follows a local sighting, then that is fine. If you're in a community that follows a worldwide sighting, then that also is fine. Why do I say that? Because the scholars of Islam have discussed these issues in great detail. And yes, some scholars of the Sunnah have taken the opinion that you can follow calculations. One of the greatest scholars of the Shafi'i, Tajuddin Subki. Also, one of the greatest scholars of Hadith in the modern period, Ahmed Shakir, Rahimahullah. Right? So you have others that have taken this opinion. Am I saying it's the best opinion, the right opinion? No. What I'm saying is that we, as individual Muslims in communities, we concentrate on issues that are out of our control. We're not the ones that are going to decide in the end when Ramadan is going to start. We have leadership in our masjid, leadership in our community, that ultimately will have to make that decision. So us causing commotion because our personal opinion hasn't been followed is doing nothing but causing fitna in the community. So what did the ulama say for a person when they see the moon of Ramadan and no one believes them? That they, it's obligatory for that individual to fast that day, but not to speak to the people and cause problems because you disrupt the unity of the community. He has to fast on that day, even if other people are fasting the day after. Why? Because a jama'ah, the concept of congregation, of community, it's an objective of the sharia, that we stay together, even when we differ. What are some instances of this? For example, during the life of the Prophet ﷺ, when he made Hajj and he was in Mina, how did he pray? Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. How did he pray? He prayed Dhuhr, two rakah. He prayed Asr, two rakah. He prayed Isha, two rakah. Each at their proper time. Why? Yeah, that's been said. Why else? Make it easy for the Hajjaj, and because they had an, a greater active ibadah that, that they were work, that they were that they were involved in. So some scholars said, well, the Prophet was living in Medina. He came to Mecca, so he was traveling, so he shortened his prayers. Others said, no, he did so because he was making it easy for the pilgrims. Because if he had been traveling, he wouldn't have prayed each prayer in his proper time. He would have the Jannah as well, which was his sunnah in all other times. So Uthman radiallahu anh, so this was the action of the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr. 
and Umar. And then when Uthman was the Khalifa, he said to himself, well, the Prophet ﷺ was only praying this because he was traveling. And Uthman before Hajj had married a woman from Mecca. In fact, she owned a home in Mina. And so he would, there were actually until very, very recently, there were still homes in Mina. A lot of people don't know that. You might have been to Hajj in the last 10 years and you see, you see buildings? Those aren't always government buildings. Sometimes those are people's homes. So people actually lived in Mina until very, very recently. So Uthman's wife had a home in Mina. And so he said, well, if my wife has a home here, I'm home. So I'm not going to pray to, I'm going to pray for. So the people went to, Abdul, uh, went to Abdullah bin Mas'ud, the Allah And they said, uh, they said, Ya Abu Abdurrahman, what do we do about Uthman praying for instead of two? He said, Salla Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam raka'atayn, wa salla Abu Bakr raka'atayn, wa salla Umar raka'atayn, fa al-wajib in salla raka'atayn. Abu Bakr, the Prophet prayed two raka'at. And Umar, uh, Abu, uh, and Abu Bakr prayed two raka'at. And Umar prayed two And we should, the obligation is to pray two raka'at. Then the, the adhan for Asr was called. And so Abdullah bin Mas'ud and his students, they went and they prayed behind Uthman. And Uthman prayed how many? Four rak'ah. Imini, assalamu alaykum wa assalamu alaykum wa The people then looked at Ibn Mas'ud. Ya, ya Abu Abdurrahman, ma'ala, what's this? Ibn Mas'ud, didn't you just tell us that the Prophet prayed to, and Abu Bakr prayed to, and Umar prayed to, and now you pray behind Uthman, and you pray four behind him? Shouldn't you have done different? Shouldn't you have said something? Disagreements are evil. We can disagree on the principle and still respect each other when there's a valid difference of opinion. So, if I, for example, I'm starting the fast of the day when my family back home fasts and I think that that's the right thing to do, then do that. Don't cause problems in your local masjid. If I follow calculations and my community is following a, 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 a naked eye sighting, do what you feel is right, but don't cause problems in the masjid. When you, when, if I follow a worldwide sighting and my community is following calculations, what's going to happen? Glad tidings. There hasn't been a difference between worldwide sighting and calculation for the last 20 years. But if you're following a local sighting and calculations, there'll be some difference. The point being here is seek unity of the Muslims. Right? Even if we differ, we still come together. We still work together for those uh, differences. So, um, what is the benefit of praying during Ramadan? The Prophet ﷺ said, "Man sama Ramadan iman and wahtisaban, wufira lahu ma taqaddam min dhambihi." Whoever fasts Ramadan out of iman and taking into account that act, ihtisaban, his sins, all his previous sins will be forgiven. Man qama Ramadan, whoever stands during Ramadan in faith and taking that into account, all his previous sins will be forgiven. Man qama layla al qadr. Whoever stands the night of decree, then all of, and, and out of iman and taking that into account, then all of his previous sins will be forgiven. There's a widespread hadith 
It's actually not a hadith. It's very weak. And the Prophet ﷺ probably did not say this. That people will say that the first three, the first ten days of Ramadan are mercy, and the second ten days are forgiveness, and the third ten days of Ma'arifishu. I don't remember what the third ten days were, but there's a there's a greater hadith than this, because Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Narrated in, in, in the Sahih that the Prophet ﷺ said, "Lillahi fi kulli laylatim Ramadan utaqaa'un Allah has in every night of Ramadan those who He frees from the hellfire. May Allah make us from them. So every single night you have to be trying to seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also, the idea of Laylatul Qadr. Laylatul Qadr, some ulama have said that it is 27, even from ulama amongst the Sahaba. Some have said that it's 23rd, 25th. Personally, I believe that it changes throughout the year. From experience as well as the statements of scholars past. Abdullah Mas'ud was asked, What night is Laylatul Qadr on? He said, Every night of the year. How does that work? Does that mean we can like pray this month of Sha'ban and get Laylatul Qadr? And Imam Saraqsi the great Hanafi scholar who wrote uh, 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 you know, his magnum opus called the Mabsult, where he took all the previous books of the Hanafi school before him and, uh, and collated them into one uh, kind of coherent compendium of, of knowledge. He commented on the statement of Abdullah al-Mas'ud. He said, what Abdullah al-Mas'ud meant was not to say that you can, you can actually find Laylat al-Qadr in any night. Because the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ about when Laylat al-Qadr astadrikuha fil ashr al-awakir fil witri minha try and find it in the last ten nights and in the, in the odd nights of them. Then, he said, he's not saying don't seek it at that time. He's saying, look, if you're not praying throughout the year every night, it's that much harder to actually stand up for Laylatul Qadr. Imagine, you never pray Tahajjud, you never even pray Witr most of the year. And then you want to come and win Laylatul Qadr, right? Have the victory you know, of, of Laylatul Qadr. This is like saying that I'm never going to train, okay? But inshallah, I'm going, to, I'm going to win the gold in the Olympics this coming year, right? Is that going to happen? No, that I won't even qualify, right? Much less, uh, uh, much less not be laughed at if I try. It takes training, it takes preparation, right? And when we talk about spiritual success in the past, part of that spiritual success is understanding our own limitations and when we need to prepare for these blessed days that are coming up. So in addition to the idea of the forgiveness of sins during Ramadan and being freed from the hellfire, there's something that's extremely immense and great about fasting in and of itself. The Prophet ﷺ said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Hadith Qudsi, in this Hadith of Bukhari, he says, كُلُّ عَمَلِ ابْنَ آدَمْ لَهُ إِلَّا الصَّوْمُ فَإِنَّهُ لِي وَأَنَا أَجْزِبِهِ يَدْعَى طَعَامَهُ وَشَرَابَهُ مِنْ أَجْلِي أو كما قال عليه الصلاة والسلام عن ربه عز وجل 
that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Hadith Qudsi. What's a Hadith Qudsi? Hadith Qudsi, or a divine Hadith, are the personal conversations of Allah and His Prophet. It's not, it's not the Qur'an. It's revelation, but it's not the Qur'an. We don't recite it in Salah, but we know that Allah said it. Why? Because He was speaking directly to the Prophet so this is the way that I, I, defi- I define it for, 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 for those to be relatable. Right? They're personal conversations that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had with his Prophet He said, the actions of the children of Adam are for them, except for fasting. It is for me, and I will reward it when a person leaves off their food, their drink, and their desires for my sake. What does that mean that fasting is for Allah? There are two things here. Number one is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala attributing fasting to Him means that this is one of the most noble acts that you can do to fast. And by simply fasting, you are relating and attributing yourself to Allah. Secondly, when you fast, This is an act of worship that cannot be done uh, uh, with ostentation. Riyah. You know, unless you go out and tell people, you know, somebody says, you know, mashallah, you know, you you, you prayed beautifully. Mashallah. So you pray these two rakahs in the masjid, to hate the masjid. Mashallah, you pray beautifully. Say, yeah, alhamdulillah, I was fasting too. No one does that. So this is an act of worship that you can keep silent from everyone. Additionally, the Ibn Abdul Salam mentions that هذه عبادة أو الجوع والعطش أمران لا يتقرب بهما إلى ملك من الملوك أو حتى إلى الأصنام. That thirst and hunger acts that were never used to get close to a king for worldly material gain or even in the worship of idols. This is something that you do only to get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the idea of fasting is that you're cutting yourself off from all other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when we fast there's a few different things that have to happen for fasting to be obligatory for us. For example, for the fast of Ramadan to be obligatory, you have to be Muslim. If you're non-Muslim, and you come and you do a fast upon or you fast with the Muslims, that's okay, right? You can do that, but it doesn't count. You can't like, you know, a fast, uh, uh, it's not going to count for you after you became Muslim. There's no edger for it, right? You just... Allowing yourself to experience what other people go through. So you have to be Muslim. You have to be aqil. You have to be sane. If you have a diminished capacity or the inability, you're, you know, you're, not, you're not fully there as far as your sanity, then it's not obligatory for you to fast. Also, you have to be balal. You have to be pubescent, the age of puberty. Children that are underneath the age of puberty, and I just differs from family to family and people to people, right? Generally, ulama have set like the age of being 13 to 15 
or this the general age of when boys would enter into puberty, right? That when you are not obligated, absolutely obligated to fast until the age of puberty. However, the companions of the Prophet ﷺ would train their children to fast from a very young age. In fact, the women of the Ansar used to make toys, dolls, and give the toys to the children during Ramadan to busy them so that they would start understanding the difference uh, or the, they, they, would start, they would start abstaining from food and they would make their meals later in the day so that when they got older, again, talking about preparation, they would be more prepared to fast. I remember one time uh, I asked a friend of mine from Syria, I said, Inshallah, uh, is your son fasting? He said, uh, he said, yeah, we say in Syria, we assume, uh, we assume some, you know, he's fasting the, the fast of the, the minaret steps. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he fasts, he takes a step and he eats, and he fasts, he takes a step and he eats, and he takes a fast. So you're going to have kids that are going to tell you that they're fasting, they're going to snack throughout the whole day, it's fine. Reward them at the end of the day. Allow them to do that. Because they want to be with you and feel happy that they've achieved some act of worship. This is like in prayer. A lot of parents make the mistake of when their children are praying with them, what's the first thing that they do after the prayer? You did this, you did sit. Now their mind is all connected to what? Negativity. And this happens with, quote unquote, new Muslims as well. You see the guy, new Muslims, mashallah, Farisa. He's like, you know, people enter the masjid like predatory animal, you know? And find this new Muslim. <laughs> latch on to him. Brother, you're supposed to put your fingers like this, not like this, not like this. I remember one brother came to me and said, Man, I don't know, when I make sajjah, do I put my hands like this, or like this, or like this? I'm not sure. What do I do? Because he had heard so many different things from so many different people. Right? Be encouraging. Allow your children to grow. Allow people who are new Muslims to grow. Allow people who are newly learning Muslims to grow. Don't assume that just because they're from a Muslim family, they come back to the masjid, that they know everything. Right? Use hikmah. And... The solution to that is to have regular education in your masjid about the basics. So, you know, when your child runs all around and then by the end of the salah they're there sitting back down and, you know, to shahud and, and acting like they had been there the whole time, just congratulate them. Give them a gift, you know. Give them a hug after the salah. At the end of their fast, give them some candy, give them a gift. Allow them to feel the joy the Prophet ﷺ said, لِلصَّائِمِ فَرْحَتَانِ فَرْحَةٌ عِنْدَ فُطْرِهِ وَفَرْحَةٌ عِنْدَ رَبِّهِ The person who fasts experiences two joys. One when he breaks his fast, and the other when he meets his Lord. So, allow your children to understand that there is farha, there is joy when it comes to fasting. Also, for fasting to be obligatory, you have to be able to fast. If you are, el- if you are elderly or sick, there is some form of physical impediment to you fasting, it is not obligatory for you to fast. Al-Qudra. Right? So, maybe you're elderly and your body is too frail. Maybe you have a chronic disease and you can't fast. Maybe you have medication that you have to take. If you're a woman, maybe you're on menses or you have postpartum bleeding. All of these things mean that you're not able to fast. But does that mean that you're not able to do ibadah? No. You're still able to do ibadah. 
if you are unable to fast due to a permanent state like uh, uh, chronic disease, chronic you know frailty and old age, right? Then you can feed a poor person for every day, and that is your act of worship. And you should feel no less than anyone who fasts during the day. A lot of our elderly in our community, they put themselves into difficult situations. Subhanallah, they have diabetes, they have problems. They force themselves to fast. They, get, they break their fast at the end of the day. High blood pressure, difficulties in, in everything. Why? Because they've, they've been accustomed to feel that they have to be, they feel guilty if they don't fast. And that's honorable in that they want to fast. But we have to understand that fasting and feeding a person for that day is the same. If a woman is at that time of the month and cannot fast, she should feel no less. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered you not to fast. So by not fasting, you're doing what Allah had ordered you to do. So don't feel bad about it. Take that time and put it into other endeavors during Ramadan. Dhikr, reading the Quran, so on and so forth. The service of others. Put that into things that will also gain you reward. And then lastly, for fasting to be obligatory, you have to be a resident. Meaning, if you're, not, if you're traveling, then you don't have to fast. It's an option. If you want to fast, you can. But if you don't want to, you don't have to. And the Prophet ﷺ, he said, It's not from righteousness that you force yourself to fast during travel. Why did he say that? Because he was traveling with people who were fasting while they were traveling. And the travel was so difficult that they started getting sick. He said, it's not righteousness to, fast your, to force yourself to fast. So... It's permitted for you to Allah says to whoever's sick or is traveling and fasts other days other than it. For fasting to be valid and accepted from you, there has to be a few things that happen. Number one, you have to be Muslim as we mentioned. You can't be in a state of vencies of postpartum bleeding. You have to be sane. And if you're a child, you have to be of age of discernment, right? You have to at least be close to the age of puberty. And you have to have an intention that you make the night before. The Prophet ﷺ said, مَن لَمْ يُبَيِّتَ النِّيَةَ مِنَ اللَّيْلِ There is no fast for a person who doesn't make intention the night before. So in individual days, you have to make an individual intention for every day. Does that... Does that have to happen during Ramadan? Or can I make one intention at the beginning of the month and just all the way to the end of the month? Same intention. Two variant opinions of the ulama. In reality though, how many of us are not consciously deciding to fast the next day? That consciousness that you're making in your mind, that's your intention. You don't have to stand up every night and go, Inshallah, I intend to fast tomorrow from... Fajr at 6.25 until... You don't have to do that. It's not something that you say, it's something that you intend in your heart. So as long as you're conscious of the fast the next day, then that is what you have to do. It's preferred when you fast to make suhoor in the mornings. The Prophet said, Make suhoor because there is blessing in suhoor. Even if you take a drink of water, then it is preferable for you to do so. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ forbade a wisal stone. 
He forbade us from fasting days on end, meaning that you take one 24-hour period, you connect it to the other. This is disliked for us to do. It's allowed for some people, right? But who are constant in their fasting, but it is disliked in general for us to, to fast. Also, to make a late suhoor and an early iftar. Early before the time? No, but at the time. Unfortunately, in our communities, I'm not sure who makes the time charts all the time, but every community has differing times, not simply because of location or calculation of the times, but because everybody wants to be safe. And so they add 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes to the time. And this is not what they call imsakiyah. In some places, you'll have something called imsakiyah, right? Where they say, stop fast or stop eating before the adhan by this many minutes. This is based on a sunnah of the Prophet Prophet would stop eating before the Adhan of Fajr by the amount that it took one to read 50 ayat. How much is 50 ayat? It's about two and a half pages of the Quran. Surah Tabarak is, is 30 verses, it's two pages. Right? So that means that your imsakiyya, should your imsak, should be no more than five minutes. You just stop eating before the, the Adhan of Fajr. But if you eat all the way to the Adhan of Fajr, it's permissible. Right? But as soon as the Adhan of Fajr comes in, then you have to abstain from it. And the Sunnah of the Prophet is he said, my ummah will always remain in a good state as long as they make their iftar quickly and they delay their suhoor. Right? So the idea is not, we, don't, we can't be safer than the Prophet ﷺ was safe. And this was his sunnah wasallam. Also, it's recommended while we fast to do other acts of worship. You're not eating anymore, so you have a lot of other times for things. I don't know about you all, but I find myself when I fast to be, and I'm not lethargic because I've, you know, taken precautions, taken some vitamins, you know. Uh, you know, I'm actually many times, I find myself, anecdotally, I find myself more productive during Ramadan. Why? Because you have so much more time. And you really understand the barakah of time. And how if you manage your time properly, you can really get a lot done. Now, this is completely personal advice, okay? But I'll say it because a lot of us, we've had trouble managing our fasts sometimes because of our, our day, the, the way that we, we work. Don't eat a lot of uh, oily, greasy foods during Ramadan because you're only going to upset your stomach and weigh yourself down, right? Also, if you have problems with dehydration or you have problems with hydration in general, you can buy something called electrolyte tablets, right? Salt tablets that will release electrolytes in your stomach and keep your body hydrated for part of the day to make it easier. You can also get time-release caffeine tablets. So if you are a person who lives on the principle of coffee, right? I have a friend who taught me this principle a long time, long time ago. There are only two types of coffee. Do you know what they are? Two types of coffee in the whole world. What are they? Good coffee? No coffee. It's the only two types. 
Good coffee? No coffee. So if you're a person who drinks coffee throughout the day, if you drink chai throughout the day, you're, you, you know, it, coming off of that caffeine is not going to happen just in a few days. So those caffeine tablets, they, ha- they help you time release throughout the day, and that's fine. Also, when the Prophet ﷺ would make iftar, he would make iftar on rutab, on uh, not fresh dates, right? Because fresh dates are actually crunchy. They actually crunch like an apple. They're still sweet. But rutab are uh, dates that are still fresh, but they're soft, right? So he would make them soft. Why? The sugars have changed. There's more glucose. It's going to be more invigorating to your body afterwards. And he would drink water. If he couldn't find rutab, then he would still eat balah, right? Which are the fresh dates, crunchy dates. Also, he would take dates and put cucumber inside the date or watermelon inside of the date to offset the pH, right? So you have hot, in, you know, like, like Galen, old, like old style medicine, they would say hot and cold, hot and bad, right? But it's just pH balance, right? So you have some, you have something which is cooling, something which is heating, something that has a lot of water, something that gives you the glucose. So he sallallahu would do that. Also, making dua during your iftar is the sunnah. Allahumma laka sumtu ala rizqika iftart. O Allah, for you I fasted, and upon your sustenance I break my fast. This is one dua amongst many. But it's the recognition that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that we are fasting for. What's not permitted when we fast? Whether it's an optional fast or an obligatory fast. It's not permitted when we fast to engage in sinful actions. Prophet ﷺ said, مَن لَمْ يَدْعَ قَوْلَ الزُّورِ وَالْعَمَلِ بِهِ فَلَيْسَ لِلَّهِ حَالَةٌ فِي يَدْعَ طَعَامَهُ وَشَرَابَهُ أَوْ كَمَا قَالَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ Whoever does not leave off false statements and acting according to falseness, then Allah has no need for him to leave off his food and drink. Right? So, when we fast, we should be trying to take advantage of those times uh, in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What are the things that break our fast? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Eat and drink until the white thread becomes clear from the black thread of Fajr. What does this mean? Well, one of the Sahaba, Adi, radiallahu anhu, he thought that this was literal, so he used to keep a black thread and a white thread underneath his pillow. And, and he, in the morning time, he would keep lifting up his pillow and looking. If he could tell the difference, then he would stop. And if he couldn't tell the difference, he kept eating. He then went to the Prophet, والسلام, and he told him about this. And the Prophet, والسلام, laughed, nawajidahu, until he laughed so loud, loud that his, his, they could see his molars in the back of his mouth. And he said, He said, you have a really wide pillow. Right? Look at the horizon, not at the threads underneath your pillow. Right? So, uh, here in College Station, I imagine there's a lot less uh, light pollution than we have, say, in Houston. So if you've ever been in the countryside or you have a clear view of the horizon, you will notice that it's very distinct when the time of Fajr comes in. Because you will see what looks like a very thin line of light juxtaposed to a line of darkness. It's, a, it's pretty amazing. To see, it's not what they call al-fajr al-kadir, the false fajr, which is uh, astronomical twilight or da- a dawn that comes up in the morning. 
and that, as they say, uh, it looks like a foxtail, right? It's a, it's a whisk of light throughout the sky. There's a very distinct line on the horizon. Problem is, we have so much light pollution nowadays that we've lost contact with uh, understanding the natural signs that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. So it's great if you go camping, right, to learn about these things. Also, so you can eat and drink, and if you eat and drink purposefully while you are fasting, then this breaks your fast. If you eat and drink unintentionally, then this, the Prophet ﷺ said, that من, من نسي فأكل أو شرب فإنما أطعمه ربه وسقاه that whoever forgets and then eats or drinks while he's fasting, then this is only his Lord giving him food and drink. So your fast is not broken. If you've done it so many times, you're walking through campus, and you're like, man, subhanAllah, I'm thirsty. And you go down and you take a sip out of the water fountain, and they go, oh, I'm fasting. You're not, you haven't broken your fast. Why? Because you forgot completely, you're so thirsty, you forgot that you were fasting. Right? But if you go, wow, I'm fasting, it's really hot out here, I'm going to drink water. Then, and you consciously do it, then you've broken your fast. Also, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, On the night of fasting, it's permitted for you to go to your wives. So, intercourse while fasting is something which is forbidden. And if you were to do so during the daytime of Ramadan, then you would have broken your fast and would have sinned greatly and would have to fast two consecutive months uh, outside of Ramadan. Also, if a woman uh, has her menses during the time of the month, then uh, while she's fasting, that breaks her fast during the middle of the day. And she no longer has to fast the rest of the day. And she can eat and drink for the rest of the day. Okay? Allah say, no, you started the day fasting, you have to continue. No, if your fast is broken, your fast is broken. And so you do not have to continue fasting for the rest of the day, and you don't have to feel shy about eating, right? Or abstain from eating and drinking because everybody else is fasting. Allah has permitted you to not fast, and therefore, you know, you shouldn't, you know, eat cake in front of everybody and things like that. But at the same time, it is still permissible for you to eat, and you should not feel shamed. And this is a big problem in our community. We shame ourselves into doing things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not obligated us to do. Right? And so, a woman should not feel shamed if she is not fasting during the month of Ramadan and she can eat uh, as, uh, as necessary. So, what are some of the things that don't break our fast while we're fasting? As we mentioned, eating and drinking forgetfully. What else? Hmm? Having a wet drink doesn't break your fast. Also, swimming doesn't break your fast. Taking a shower doesn't break your fast. Okay? Washing your mouth out for wudu doesn't break your fast. Kissing your wife doesn't break your fast. Or your wife kissing you doesn't break your fast. Umar anhu, he was confused about this. He said to the Prophet والسلام, uh is it permissible for someone Is it permissible for a fasting person to kiss? The Prophet ﷺ gave him an analogy. He said, Haven't you considered if he were to wash his mouth out? When you wash your mouth out with water, what happens? 
A little bit of water stays inside of your mouth. But is that mu'atabar? Is that something considered to break your fast? No. So if you kiss your wife, right, then that's the same thing, right? You're ordered to, by Allah to wash your mouth out when you make wudu. Even though there's going to be small molecules of water that are going to stay in your mouth. The Prophet ﷺ said, بَالِغُوا فَدَسْتِنْشَاقِ إِلَّا أَنْ تَكُونَ صَائِمًا Exaggerate sniffing water into your nose to clean out your nasals unless you are fasting. Why did he say unless you're fasting? Because it's more likely that when you're snorting water into your nose that it'll go to the back of your throat and down. So it's intentional. Right? But if there's water that's left in your nose and you breathe it in, that's not going to break your fast. And based on this hadith, it, if you take medication which is only ingested into your lungs and is not something which is ingested into your stomach, like an inhaler, right? Maybe you use a disc or an inhaler or something that only goes to the lungs. The small particles that are left inside of your esophagus, right, do not affect your fast. So if you're asthmatic, do not feel bad for using your inhaler or similar during Ramadan. Also, um, brushing your teeth is permissible when you fast. Should you use toothpaste? Well, probably not if you're afraid that the toothpaste is going to go down your throat. But if you're able to do so without the toothpaste going and ingesting any of it, then it is permissible. Uh, Abu Darda, radiallahu anhu, was asked, وَهَلْ يَسْتَاكُ الصَّائِمْ Does a sa'im, does a fasting person use miswak, brush his teeth? فَقَالَ وَمَتَى كَانَ لِلصَّائِمْ أَنْ يُنَتِّ نَفَاهُ When was it befitting for a fasting person to make their mouth stink? Right? To make their mouth repulsive. Some people will say, well, the Prophet ﷺ said, that the breath of the fasting person is sweeter in the sight of Allah than the smell of musk. But there's a nuance here in the Arabic language. It's not the smell of your mouth. It's what comes from behind your mouth, raises up from the stomach. It's the idea of having an empty stomach and the, the gases that rise up from the empty stomach. Not that you, you, know, you haven't brushed your teeth in days because you're pious during Ramadan. It's not... That's not, what, not what's meant. It's narrated from the Sahaba that during cooking, they would actually taste their food and then spit it out. And then wash, wash it out with water so they didn't ingest anything. Right? So, if you're not going to do that, please don't add too much salt to whatever you're cooking during Ramadan. That's always an issue. Right? Also, um, what are some of the excuses why someone can't, can't fast? We mentioned them. Sickness. Also, traveling, uh, menses and postpartum bleeding, incapacity, pregnancy, breastfeeding. These are all things that if this happens to you, you have the choice to fast or not. How do you know when to fast or not? You know when you know. A lot of times people will say, no, you need to go to get the opinion of two doctors. You know when you're being honest with yourself how sick you are and how sick you're not. 
don't force yourself to, into a situation where you harm yourself. But if you know that, for example, if I don't, if I don't stop fasting and take Robitussin for 24 hours, that I'm going to be sick for two weeks, take Robitussin for 24 hours and get better and then fast the rest of Ramadan instead of being sick for two weeks and struggling throughout the year to, to, to make up your fast. This is very important. We force ourselves sometimes into situations that are unnecessary. Women who are, uh, who are pregnant are not obligated to fast, as well as women who are breastfeeding. I wrote a very long article about this on my website. If anybody wants to go and check that out, then they can. Lastly, I want to draw your attention to a theological concept about fasting. And that is that while fasting, it's not simply not eating, not simply not drinking, not simply abstaining from one's base desires. But it is the concept of not understanding what the poor go through. Because we say this every Ramadan, right? By fasting and not eating, we understand what the poor go through. Maybe that's part of it. But it's for you Oh, human being, oh, child of Adam, for you to understand that you are absolutely dependent upon Allah. That being self-sufficient is an attribute of Allah that no one can compete with. Ya Allah. Allah says, Oh mankind, you are impoverished, indebted, in need of Allah. And Allah, He is Al-Ghani. He is the self-sufficient. Al-Hamid. The worthy of all praise. If he wished, he could rid the earth of you and bring about a new creation. That's not difficult for, for him to do. But every soul bears, uh, every soul will not bear the burden of another. So understand when you fast that you are striving for something that you cannot reach. Can any of us be purely merciful? Can any of us show unrestricted mercy? No. But what did the Prophet ﷺ say about us showing mercy? He said, That those who show mercy, Ar-Rahman, the most merciful, will show them mercy. Show mercy to those on earth, he who is above the heavens will show you mercy. So this is a concept of what they say in Christian theology, living in God's image. And in a weak hadith, take the character of Allah as your character. Will you reach that character? No. You can never, you can never be the same as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is merciful, we show mercy. Because He is kind, ra'uf, we show kindness. Right? Because he is al-wudud, the loving, we show love. Not because we're striving to become, but because we know that al-kamalu lillah, 
that perfection is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that we ourselves we have been created weak so Ramadan is madrasa it's a school it's a lesson in our own frailty and human imperfection and how without Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we are nothing I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless us in this month of Sha'ban Allahumma barik lana fi Sha'ban wa ballagna Ramadan wa Allah put baraka in, in, in our Sha'ban and and Oh, bless us to reach Ramadan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless each and every one of us to be able to finish its fasts and its qiyam and to reach the night of Laylatul Qadr, the night which is better than a thousand months. Jazakumullah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Be glad to take any questions if there are any.